0: All right, everybody, good morning. It's good to see you. Glad that you're here, even in the sweltering heat outside. We're going to go ahead and get started. We're going to begin our time with a call to worship as we look at the book of psalms or so what we see just the these collections of psalms that um, have common themes and one of those is i think between psalms 93 and 99 between psalms 93 and 99 there are are these songs that um speak of the kingship of god that god is king and ironically These are some of our best call-to-worship psalms that we use so many times as the church. Psalm 98 is one of those, and so we're going to begin our time there today. Can you stand with us as we begin? The subtitle in the ESV, it says, Make a Joyful Noise to the Lord. So let's read this as it's on our screen. It starts like this. Break forth into joyous song and sing praises. Sing praises to the Lord with the lyre, with the lyre and the sound of melody, with trumpets and the sound of the horn. Make a joyful noise before the King, the Lord. These last three verses, let's say these together. Let the sea roar and all that fills it, the world and those who dwell in it. Let the rivers clap their hands Let the hills sing for joy together before the Lord, for He comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world with righteousness and the peoples with equity. So as a church, we join and look to that day when all shall be made right and we shall see the King in all His glory and His splendor and His majesty. Let's sing this song together. Sing to the King who is coming to reign. Here we go. Let's lift our voices.
1: Sing to the King who is coming to reign. Glory to Jesus, the Lamb that was slain. Life and salvation, His empire shall bring and joy to the nations, when Jesus is king, come, let us sing a song, a song declaring that we belong to Jesus, and He's He all. Is raised to Jesus. Jesus Sing to, to the, the King
0: Collectively we lift our eyes to him today. We look for his returning. Let's sing us together.
1: For his, his returning, returning, we watch and it with we prayer. pray Yeah. reign
0: over past, present, and future. There's nothing that escapes your eye. Let's sing that verse one more time. For His returning. For His
1: returning, we watch and we pray. Lift up, lift, up, up, lift up, up a heart of praise. Sing, sing now with, with voices, voices raised to Jesus. Sing to, to the, the King. King, to King Jesus. We
0: worship you this morning, King Jesus. Philippians 3. Paul says, whatever gain I had, I count it as loss for the sake of Christ. I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of what? Of knowing Christ Jesus. So today as we gather and every day that we gather, every Sunday, we gather because of Christ. Because what he has done and this glorious reality that we are his. That we are his sons and daughters and we revel and praise him for that today. Let's sing us together. I once was lost
1: in darkest night, yet thought I knew the way. The sin that promised joy and night had led me to the rain. I had no hope that you would own or able to. Had not loved me first, I would refuse you still. But as I ran, but as I ran, my hell boundaries, indifferent to the cause, you looked upon my helpless state and led me to. Beheld God's love displayed, you suffered in my place. You bore the wrath reserved for me. Now, all I know is grace Sing together. hallelujah Lord, I would be yours alone and live so might see the strength to follow.
0: of things but one thing that as we've been in the book of Hebrews this year one thing that it does so clearly is highlight our utter helplessness apart from Christ and our need for his atoning work fully in our life as we continue we're going to sing a song that just thanks the Lord for his atoning sacrifice for us what I want to do is I just want to lead us in a prayer from Valley of Vision today. The title of this prayer, is, it says, Need of Jesus. So would you close your eyes with me? I'm going to pray this over us. Let this not just be words from a person hundreds of years ago, but may it be our words to the Lord today. Would you pray with me? Lord Jesus, we are blind. Be our light. Lord Jesus, we are ignorant. Be our wisdom. Jesus, we are self-willed. Be our mind. Open our ears to grasp quickly your spirit's voice and delightfully run after his beckoning hand. Melt our conscience that no hardness remain Make it alive to evil's slightest touch. And when Satan approaches, may we flee to your wounds and there cease to tremble at all alarms. Jesus, be our good shepherd to lead us into the green pastures of your word and cause us to lie down beside the rivers of its comforts. Jesus, fill us with peace that no disquieting, worldly gales may ruffle the calm surface of our soul. Your cross was raised to be our refuge. Your blood streamed forth to wash us clean. Your death occurred to give us a surety. Your name is our property to save us. And by you, Jesus all heaven is poured into our hearts but it is too narrow to comprehend your love we were strangers we were outcasts we were slaves we were rebels but your cross has brought us near it has softened our hearts your cross has made us your children has admitted us to your family has made us joint heirs with you Oh, that we would love you as you love us. That we may walk worthy of you, our Lord. That we may reflect the image of heaven's firstborn. May we always see your beauty with the clear eye of faith. And may we feel the power of your Spirit in our hearts. For unless the Spirit moves mightily in us, no inward fire will be kindled. pray that we would feel the power of the Spirit within our hearts today, that we would grasp ever more fully and clearly the wonders that you are Jesus. a wretch. I remembered who I
1: was I was lost, I was blind I was running out of time sin separated the breach was far too wide but from the far side of the chasm you held me in your sight so you made a way cross the great, the great divide, divide, left behind heaven's throne to build it in here inside. inside, and there at, at the, the cross, cross you paid the, the debt, debt I owe, broke my chains, freed my soul for, for the first time I, I had. Has washed me white. Thank light. you, Jesus. You, you have saved my life, brought me from, from the, the darkness into glory. You took my place, laid inside, inside my, my tomb. tomb you were buried for three days,
2: but then you, you walked right out again. again.
1: And death has no sting, and life has no, has no end. end. For I have been transformed by the blood of. my heart was the blood of life Lord
0: Lord, I pray for all of us in this room as we, I know many of us have had challenging, a challenging week, a challenging season, Lord, for those things that, Lord, we just don't know. As we look in our life and we're like, Lord, where are You? What would You have us to do? I pray that You would bring clarity this morning, that Your Spirit would speak into those areas of our lives. Lord, do all the things that we cannot do of ourselves, but that we are fully reliant upon a powerful, loving, holy God. Lord, so accomplish all these things in miraculous ways that you do when the people of God meet together. Speak to us this morning by your Spirit, we ask. In the name of Jesus, the powerful name of Jesus, amen. Church, you can be seated. This morning, it is um, the lower ages, correct? Um, It is ages four through six. Can be dismissed today. Ages four through six, go upstairs.
2: Good morning. If you have a Bible, turn with me to Deuteronomy 32. There's a curveball. We're going to get to Hebrews 10 in just a moment. But turn with me first to Deuteronomy chapter 32. Thanks for being here this morning. It is always one of the highest privileges to gather as the people of God, with the people of God, because Jesus has promised to be among his people when they gather. And so we trust that he is present in this moment with us. So yeah, it's hot. And it's going to be hot because it's unprecedented temperatures that we are experiencing right now but we gather because Jesus is worth it, right? That's why we're here, because Jesus is going to be here. I pray that if it were 120, we would still be willing to sweat because it's worth it for Jesus to be here. This building could burn to the ground, and we could meet on the ashes, and Jesus would be here, and that's why we come. Um, By the way, if you have ever had or are ever going to have the privilege of worshiping in like 85% of the world on the mission field, people just gather outdoors in the heat and they sweat and they worship Jesus because he's worth it. So it's a grace that we have even halfway functioning air conditioning, but we're grateful to be here nonetheless. The fifth book of the Bible, Deuteronomy, is more or less one big retirement sermon. So God has, through his servant Moses, he's brought Israel to the cusp of the promised land through the wilderness for 40 years. And now Moses's leadership is about to give way to Joshua's leadership, who's going to lead them into the promised land to take possession of, of the land that God promised by a covenant to Abraham, to Isaac, and Jacob, and to their offspring. And so, what Moses does in the book of Deuteronomy is he speaks, he, he addresses the people kind of one last time, and he retells the story of their great deliverance from Egypt. And then He talks about their wilderness wanderings and the things that they've experienced and seen God do along the way. And then he reminds them that as God's people, part of what it means to be his people is that they follow his word. So he reminds them of the law that gathers and shapes them and to which they are accountable. So he retells their story of deliverance and uh, of rescue and of wanderings, and he reminds them of the law. That's what the word Deuteronomy, you can break it apart. Deutero means second, the word Namas means law. It's second law. He's not adding another law, he's recapitulating the first law. He's telling it to them again. <laughs> the conclusion to his retirement sermon, if you will, uh, is found in Deuteronomy 32. And it's interesting because he doesn't conclude his sermon the way that I so often conclude mine. He concludes his sermon with a song. And it's not just any song. It is a doozy. Because it's a song of confrontation and of warning. It is a heavy song see, Moses knows that God's people are prone to wander. And so he sings a long song that reminds them, here's what God's done for you. Here is the kindness that he's shown you. And here's what's going to happen. You're going to find yourselves. If you rebel against his word, you're going to find yourselves under the covenant curses that he's promised and this song is gonna stand and confront you on that day, reminding you why it is that you are under these curses. So let's, let's sample some of this song for ourselves. Okay, Deuteronomy 31. Right, we're gonna be in 32 in just a moment, but I wanna read a few verses from 31 first uh, verses 27 through 30. Moses is speaking, <clears throat> he's just finished writing the words, the law, into a book. He's commanded the priest to put it near the ark, put it by the side of the ark, verse 26, that it may be there, the law, as a witness against you, he says in 26, for I know how rebellious and stubborn you are. Behold, even today while I am yet alive with you, you've been rebellious against the Lord. How much more after my death? Assemble to me, all the elders of your tribes and your officers, that I may speak these words in their ears and call heaven and earth to witness against them. For I know that after my death, you will surely act corruptly and turn aside from the way that I've commanded you. And in the days to come, evil will befall you because you do what is evil in the sight of the Lord, Yahweh, provoking him to anger through the work of your hands. Okay, so now we pick up with the song. Verse uh, 30, then Moses spoke the words of this song until they were finished in the ears of all the assembly of Israel. So let's read one through six. Give ear, O heavens, and I will speak and let the earth hear the words of my mouth. May my teaching drop as the rain my speech distill as the dew, like gentle rain upon the tender grass, like showers upon the herb, For I will proclaim the name of the Lord. Ascribe greatness to our God. This rock, his work is perfect, for all his ways are justice. And a God of faithfulness and without iniquity, just and upright is he. They have dealt corruptly with him. They are no longer his children because they are blemished. They are a crooked and twisted generation. Do you thus repay the Lord, you foolish and senseless people? Is not He your Father who created you, who made you, and established you? I would love to read the whole thing. We're just going to skip and pick up a few more things. Look at verse 10 of the works of the Lord. He found them in a desert land, in the howling waste of the wilderness. He encircled them. He cared for them. He kept them as the apple of his eye, like an eagle that stirs up its nest, that flutters over its young, spreading out its wings, catching them, bearing them on its pinions. The Lord alone guided him. No foreign God was with him. Verses 15 and 16. But Jeshurun, that's a, another word for Israel. It's a Way of talking about Israel. Jeshurun grew fat and kicked. You grew fat, stout, and sleek. Then he forsook God who made him and scoffed at the rock of his salvation. They stirred him to jealousy with strange gods. With abominations, they provoked him to anger. Verses 19 and 20. The Lord saw it and spurned them. Because of the provocation of his daughters and his sons. And he said, I will hide my face from them. I will see what their end will be, for they are a perverse generation, children in whom is no faithfulness. 23 and 24. And I will heap disasters upon them. I will spend my arrows on them. They shall be wasted with hunger and devoured by plague and poisonous pestilence. I will send the teeth of the beasts against them and the venom of things that crawl in the dust. 28 through 30. For they are a nation void of counsel and there is no understanding in them. If they were wise, they would understand this. They would discern their latter end. How could one enemy have chased a thousand or two put 10,000 to flight unless their rock had sold them and the Lord had given them up? And then jump with me to 39 through 41. See now that I, even I am he, And there is no God beside me. I kill and I make alive. I wound and I heal. And there is none that can deliver out of my hand. For I lift up my hand to heaven and swear as I live forever. If I sharpen my flashing sword and my hand takes hold on judgment, I will take vengeance on my adversaries and repay those who hate me. This is not a fun song. This is not going to be on the top 100 or even the top 20 of the Christian music K-Love Billboard charts, right? Like it's, it's just not gonna get there. This may not ever get played on K-Love because it's a song of judgment. But here's, here's the thing. Why, why speak thus to God's people? Right? Like what's the point of saying what he says? This is a warning. This is, this is meant to provoke their hearts to make them want to follow God and avoid the judgment that's promised if they fall away. Because what's going on in Deuteronomy 32 is the same thing as what's happening in Hebrews 10 is the same thing as what we've seen in Hebrews three and in Hebrews six. It's a warning to the people of God. To help them avoid judgment. If I can say it this way, Moses and the author of Hebrews understand this. To fall away from the living God is to fall into the hand of the living God. We're going to look at what that means today. To fall away from the living God is to fall into the hands of the living God. God, So stand with me and let's now read Hebrews chapter 10, verses 26 through 31. Hear the word of the Lord this morning. For if we go on sinning deliberately after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a fearful expectation of judgment and a fury of fire that will consume the adversaries. Anyone who has set aside the law of Moses dies without mercy on the evidence of two or three witnesses. How much worse punishment do you think will be deserved by the one who has trampled underfoot the Son of God and has profaned the covenant by which he was sanctified and has outraged the Spirit of grace? For we know him who said, Vengeance is mine, I will repay And again, the Lord will judge his people. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Father, it's a hard word, but I believe that it is a necessary word for us today. Give us open eyes, open ears, hearts to understand, sober us up, give us a moment of clarity and sanity by the help of your spirit that we might discern the end of those who fall away so that we might be warned and chastised and chastened and purified. That we might be encouraged, therefore, to follow Christ along a hard, narrow path for the whole of our lives. Oh, Spirit, keep us believing. Keep us faithful. Renew us in a love for God and our neighbor. Renew in us a repentance of sin and a hatred of sin and build us up in our most holy faith we pray through Christ amen I didn't mention this but if you have you can be seated if you have uh, an out, if you have a desire for an outline there are some on the back table uh, they're there we can also make an extra copy if we run out so just go grab one if you want to get a bible there's one back there as well the first thing that we're gonna look at from verses 26 and 27 is this. Deliberate disobedience is dangerous. Deliberate disobedience is dangerous. Now, this verse starts with the word for, right, right there. At least in the English, it starts with the word for, which indicates that our author is giving a reason uh, for what came before it. And what we finished with last week was talking about the fact that we're not to neglect meeting together, but to encourage one another. And he says, all the more as you see the day draw near. What day? The day of Christ. The day that he returns and judges the nations, judges the world according to righteousness. So he's saying... In light of that judgment that is coming, because the day is drawing near, because every day is one day closer to that day, or as Hebrews chapter 3, verses 12 and 13 say, just turn there with me. Let's just pick up that language. Um, We talked about this in men's life group this week. But he says, take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort, encourage, the same word as in Hebrews 10, exhort one another every day as long as it is called today that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. So in light of the fact that we have a today and to this point, today is not that day, yet we're to encourage one another. We're to have an urgency about encouraging each other so that we don't fall away from God. So that we're not hardened by the deceitfulness of sin and so fall away from God. Right? That's, when he talks about sinning deliberately, he's I believe he's really talking about the sin of apostasy, which is, I know, I've heard the gospel. I have, in some measure, I've, I've come to acknowledge the truth of it. I have looked from every conceivable angle, Hebrews 6, like a believer. And yet, in light of all of that, I have knowingly turned my back On those things. I've walked away and I've gone from apparently being one of his people now to being one of his enemies. I have set my face against him. But he's saying, if we go on sinning deliberately, right? So he's talking about. Not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging each other. So there's something about our truth-filled gospel encouragement that will help us avoid deliberate sin, specifically that sin, the sin of apostasy, rebellion and becoming God's enemies again. And, and like I said last week, let me just say this again. The stakes are probably higher, maybe probably higher than you've imagined that they are. The stakes of your attendance at the meetings of the church, not just on Sunday mornings, but your participation in the life of the church, they're higher than you probably understood. Because part of what's happening in verse 25 is that our gathering together is itself an encouragement toward Christ. And when we gather, we will be encouraging one another toward Christ. We'll be preserving. Like we are instruments of God's preservation of us until the last day. We said this Wednesday night with the men in our church. Look around. Just seriously, look around. Look at the people around you. That was too, you looked too close. Um, look at the people around. Like these people are a gift of God to you for your preservation God intends for your participation in the life of this church to be an instrument whereby he preserves your faith until the last day and keeps you from falling away. That's a big deal. We encourage each other with truth so that we don't become hardened and fall away. Getting into a habit of neglecting the church. And just so that we're clear about what I mean when I say the church and neglecting the church, I'm not talking about letting the weeds grow behind the building. Although they are doing that right now (laughs) because they've been neglected. But that's not what this is talking about. The church is the people. Like, this is a barn. And it's not even a very good barn. It's an old barn. It's like a 70-year-old barn with air conditioning that doesn't work. This is the house of God. You are the house of God. We ought not neglect the church, one another. Because when we do, when we get, verse 25, into a habit of neglecting the church, it is increasingly likely that we will walk away. Verses 26 and 27 demonstrate how dangerous it is to walk away. To have received the knowledge of the truth. Look what he says. Receiving the knowledge of the truth. You've accepted it in your life to some extent and you still fall away. It's worse for you than if you had never believed in the first place. Because it's not a sin without knowledge. It's a sin against knowledge. It's this deliberate, willful, high-handed sin to know what's true and to say, I don't care about that. I love my sin more. I'm going this way. And he says, when this describes you, that you've received the knowledge of the truth, but you go on sinning deliberately, Christ and his righteous sacrifice don't cover and clothe you. Therefore, you stand before the judgment seat of Christ naked and exposed in all your sins and deserving unbridled condemnation. And just so that we're also clear, I'm going to talk about this a little bit more in just a minute. This is not someone who was truly saved that loses salvation. Salvation. This is someone who looked like a believer from every conceivable angle and has fallen away. And so it just becomes clear what that person has always believed when that person becomes an enemy. But here's the deal. The warning is real for all of us, and we should take it to heart. The language that he uses is vivid and terrifying Right? He says, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins. When you've, when you've received the knowledge of the truth, you've fallen away. There's no longer a sacrifice for sins, but what? 27, a fearful expectation of judgment and a fury of fire that will consume the adversaries. It's, it, there is a zeal to this fire. Like that's the actual word in the original language. It's a, it's a zealous fire. There's a zeal of this fire. It's it's jealous. It's eager to consume the adversaries. I would never want to trivialize what has happened in Maui. Like that's devastating and it's heartbreaking. Where 60 like where, where thousand-degree temperatures were moved at the unfathomable rate of over 60 miles per hour. You just you're talking about a fury of an inferno that consumes everything. This is a zealous fire and yet it is nothing compared to what's being discussed here. Like if that's possible just from a hurricane whipping up a wildfire, can you imagine the terror that the enemies of God will feel when his zealous fire begins to eat at them? Consume, that's what the word consume means, to eat going to eat them up wholly. You don't want to be found on that day exposed to that judgment. You want to be found clothed in Christ who has undergone that judgment for you already. For those that have fallen away, This day holds nothing but a terrifying expectation of judgment rather than salvation. They may not expect salvation when they have knowingly rejected the only means of salvation. We know that a believer, a genuine believer in Christ, will not reject this salvation ultimately and finally. But here's the reality. You want to be as far away from that as possible because you should be asking, can this happen to me? This is what this is here for. Could this happen to me? And I would say, if you reject his salvation, if you reject the only means whereby you might be covered from that fury of fire that consumes the adversaries, if you reject that, then yes, there is no sacrifice for you. You should want, believer, like what this ought to be doing in your heart is to be stirring you up in such a way that you want to stay as far away from whatever this is talking about as possible. He goes on, right? He talks about the dangers of uh, of deliberate disobedience. But then in 28 and 29, He argues that rejecting a better covenant earns a worse punishment. Rejecting a better covenant earns a worse punishment. He says, Anyone who has set aside the law of Moses dies without mercy on the evidence of two or three witnesses. And so, what's happening here is our author is beginning to argue from lesser to greater. Okay. He makes the lesser point to make the greater point. And so he says, those in Israel, the people of God, who had the law, heard the law, knew the law, and yet set it aside, they rejected it in their disobedience and their rebellion. They executed some of these high-handed sins, these deliberate sins against knowledge, not without knowledge. They died without mercy. Um. On the back of if you, flip your uh, handout over, you'll see Deuteronomy 13, Deuteronomy 17. Um, let, let me just read Deuteronomy 13 to you because you're going to see what he means when he says without mercy. Deuteronomy chapter 13. I'm going to read verses 6 through 11. If your brother the son of your mother or the son of your daughter or the wife of, uh, or the wife you embrace or your friend who is as your own soul. So just clarify, the closest possible relationships that you could have in this life, okay? Like your brother, like not just like your brother in like the spiritual sense of Israel, like your actual flesh and blood brother, your wife that you embrace, okay? He, he's arguing that you should be more committed to God even than your wife, right here, okay? "'Who is as your, your friend, who is as your own soul, entices you secretly, saying, "'Let us go and serve other gods, "'which neither you nor your fathers have known, "'some of the gods of the peoples who are around you, "'whether near you or far off from you, "'from the one end of the earth to the other, "'you shall not yield to him or listen to him, "'and your eye shall not pity him.'" nor shall you spare him, nor shall you conceal him, but you shall kill him or her. Your hand shall be first against him to put him to death. And afterward, the hand of all the people, you shall stone him to death with stones because he sought to draw you away from the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. And all Israel shall hear and fear And never again do any such wickedness as this among you. Listen, the consequences for falling away from God are severe and they're real. These people, like he said, don't feel a moment's pity for them. That you would hide them or not speak out against them. Don't let your eye pity them, kill them. Deuteronomy 17, verses 12 and 13. The man who acts presumptuously by not obeying the priest who stands to minister there before the Lord your God or the judge, that man shall die. So you shall purge the evil from Israel and all the people shall hear and fear and not act presumptuously again. And if you uh, if you look at the little, um, little note that I put in your uh, outline, you're gonna see that there's a Numbers 15 there. This is um, the... He says something similar and then there's an illustration of it where a man gathers sticks on the Sabbath day and he is executed without pity because he has profaned the holy day of the Lord. He's fallen away. He's set aside God's law. He's like, like what I want is more important than what God says. He set it aside. He sinned against knowledge. He did not submit to the law of God. So he says in Hebrews chapter 10, those people died without mercy on the evidence of two or three witnesses. What have we spent the last few months studying in Hebrews 6, 7, or 7, 8, 9, and 10, the first half? What have we, like, what's been one of the major themes of, of these last several chapters? It's the inadequate and temporary nature of the law. We've talked about this multiple times. The new covenant is better in every conceivable way than the old covenant. And so, what his argument is saying here is if People who set that temporary, insufficient law aside, if they die without pity, what then do you suppose is going to happen to the one who profanes the blood of Christ, who regards it as unholy and defiled? You're not just rejecting God's law, you're rejecting God's son, this new covenant that he's made. So rejecting a better covenant earns you a worse punishment. That's what he's saying here. And look at how graphic this is. I mean, this this is the spiritual reality of what happens when you turn your back on Christ. Having once counted yourself among his people. This is what he says How much worse punishment, 29, do you think will be deserved by the one who has trampled underfoot the Son of God? God's Son is magnificent, great, glorious, and infinitely worthy. And to spurn Him is like casting Him to the ground and walking all over Him. God forbid that any here should ever treat the one whose enemies will be his footstool as a doormat. God forbid it. Trampling on the Son of God. When you turn your back on the church, when you walk away from the faith, when you apostatize, you sin against the knowledge that God has allowed you to have, you're trampling underfoot the Son of God. It goes further. You profane the blood of the covenant. The question is, did the blood actually sanctify this person? In the sense of salvation, we have to say no, because a true believer in Christ would not do this, would not disregard uh, disregard the blood of the covenant or regard it as something profane and common and unholy. This appeared to be a believer but was not, much like what we saw in Hebrews 6. But these these are Old Testament law words. If you look at Leviticus chapter 10, verse 10, that's again, it's on the back of your outline. Uh, It will be behind me in just a moment. Leviticus chapter 10, verse 10. One of the roles of the priest was to distinguish between and then teach the people to distinguish between the holy and the common, the clean and the unclean. And so he's saying what you're doing, when you turn your back on the church, the spiritual reality, when you walk away from the faith, when you fall away from the living God, you are regarding, you are considering the blood of the covenant as something profane, and, common and defiled and unholy. You are, you are literally living against the truth of what God has said about the blood of Christ because it is holy and it sanctifies. And then you are outraging the spirit of grace, insulting the spirit of grace. Could you imagine... Meeting Jesus and spitting in his face. What an outrage. What a morally repugnant outrage that would be to spit in the face of the one who died for your sins. It's an insult. And this is the spiritual equivalent of that not just grieving the spirit but outraging the spirit as they knowingly insult him and turn away sinning against the knowledge that they have so he says if if those people in israel died without mercy because they sinned against the knowledge of the law how much worse will it be for those who trample the Son of God, who profane the blood of the covenant, who outrage the Spirit of grace. How much worse will it be? And then in verses 30 and 31, he gives an, another reason. He says, we know him. We've come to know God himself. So we know God in his promises. We understand that the punishment for this will be worse because we know God and we know His promises. Because we know God or have come to know Him, we therefore know of His faithfulness to His promises. And often we use God's faithfulness to His promises as an encouragement, and rightly so, we should. But his faithfulness to his word does not stop at his promises to do good to his people. It continues. His faithfulness continues to his promises to judge his enemies. He is just as faithful to forgive and cleanse and sanctify and do good to his people as he is to consume and condemn his enemies. We know that. We know him who has made these promises who has said, Vengeance is mine, I will repay. And again, the Lord will judge his people. That's the point of these Old Testament quotes, is that God is going to bring wrath and ruin upon his enemies. Including and especially those who once counted themselves among his people, saw the work of the Spirit, realized to some degree the goodness of Christ, and yet fell away and became his enemies once more. Now, you may have wondered why I quoted Deuteronomy 32 at length. And part of the reason is this these two Old Testament quotes come from Moses' song in Deuteronomy 32, it's verses 35. In verse 36. So if you'll look there with me, um, you're going to notice that one of the words is different in the Old Testament than it is in the New Testament. This, in this quote, one says the Lord will judge his people in Hebrews. One, uh, you're, if you're reading the ESV, it's going to say vindicate his people. Those are related concepts, but it really boils down to he is quoting one particular translation of the Bible into Greek here. Um, And I'm gonna do, I've done some on that in the newsletters. I'm gonna do more on that tomorrow just to make sure we solidify why there's a discrepancy between his quote of the Old Testament and what our Old Testament says. But at the same time, both of these things are true. God is going to judge all the earth, is he not? Including his people, is he not? And yet his people who believe in him are righteous by their faith and he will do what for them? He will vindicate them he will declare them to have been right to believe in his son. And therefore the punishment of judgment will not fall upon them. So both of these things are actually true about what God's gonna do. I'll do more tomorrow, like I said, in the newsletter on this discrepancy there. But when an author in the New Testament quotes a verse from the Old Testament, it is rarely simply um, just because those words make the argument that that, person, that that author wants to make. It's, it's not just an appeal to that language, it's an appeal to the context, what's going on around it. And so I really believe that what the author of Hebrews sees himself as doing is the same thing as what Moses was doing. And so that's why he appeals to Deuteronomy 32 when he wants to bring out these things in a warning. So Moses was warning the people of Israel The author of Hebrews is warning the new Israel. But look what he says. Vengeance is mine. And recompense. I'll repay. Recompense. Verse 36. The Lord will vindicate or judge his people. Have compassion on his servants. He will take vengeance upon his adversaries and he will vindicate those who are truly his people. Now his point in saying all of this and in quoting Deuteronomy 32 is that you can fall away in any direction. You can fall away from the living God in any direction, but do you know where you end up when you fall away from the living God? You end up in his hands. Look what it says. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Um, There are times the Bible comforts us with the idea that we are in God's hands, that he holds us. This is not one of those times. This is more like a Jonathan Edwards, sinners in the hands of an angry God kind of reference than it is, uh, you know, he's got the whole world in his hands. Like, this is not where you want to be. Or better yet, this is not how you want to get there. When I've thought about Jesus' two paths, you know what I'm talking about? He says, the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. The gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life. There are few who find it. Okay, when I think about those paths, I've often, for whatever reason, imported like Robert Frost, two, word, two roads diverged in a, in a wood." Like you know, like they're same level, going just just different directions. And and as I've been thinking about this uh, and about falling away, I I have come to think of it more like the the one path leading down and the one path being a narrow path on the ridge of a mountain that is treacherous and you can see down in any direction. And, and the thing is, everything not on that one path is the wide road. Like it's all, whatever direction you fall off the mountain, at whatever point you fall off the mountain, it's the wide road you fall onto. It's not like you fall onto a side road that gets you back up to this. There's one path, there's only one. Everything else, you're lost. Some of you may have played Mario Kart before, on the Wii, and there's a level that's called Rainbow Road, and you're in outer space, and it's like the hardest one to drive these little carts on, because you like the drop is like you it's you fall off the road and you burn up in the atmosphere of the planet, like it's like you literally re-enter like a space shuttle. Um, it's it's like that, the 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 narrow path. is is narrow. It's easy to fall off of. You can fall off in any direction. False worship, seeking pleasure, worldly loves, cultural approval. But wherever you fall off, whenever you fall off, you fall onto the wide road, the downward, wide, easy path toward destruction. The way that leads to life is narrow hard and treacherous but it has been trodden and tested thoroughly by saints of bygone ages and you can trust with every fiber of your being that it will not give way as you trot upon it hold fast keep going and turn yourself neither to the right hand nor to the left Here's my point in saying all of this. If you're on the narrow path and you can look off to this huge perilous drop on either side of you and you know that the only way to life is there, why, oh, why would you itch yourself closer to the precipice? If you see the danger on every side, why would you not stay as close to the center of that well-worn, stable, steady path to life? Because the question is, how does this happen? Like, how do people fall away? It almost never happens overnight. But bit by bit, compromise by compromise, little sin by little sin, imperceptibly inching closer to one side or the other of the path after you've begun it and then slipping and falling away. Right. In the words of Hebrews 10, it's it's not like you don't just develop a habit of neglecting the church. You miss a Sunday. And nobody noticed. So you miss another Sunday. And then it's a month. And then it's two months. And over time it becomes a habit. And then you're isolated. And in your isolation, you begin questioning questioning all of it. And then you're hardened and gone. Or it's a glance. that turns into a stare that plants an idea that idea becomes a conversation and then slowly but surely a friendship that nobody needs to know about then it becomes an obsession and before you know it two families are in tatters it never just starts with an affair but it gets there over time like this is the incremental pull of sin Satan is patient and will wait for you to make those small compromises. Sin is not to be toyed with. It is not a game. This is not a game. Sin is not a domesticated animal that you can keep in a cage and pull out when you want to play with it and put it back when you're finished with it. It's a lion that wants to eat you. Have no pity on it and don't trust yourself with it. Kill it. John Owen, be killing sin or it will be killing you. It's a testament to the depth of, of our fallenness, that we can be so enamored with something that is so lethal to us. Sin is what crushed Jesus, it is why he became a man and was murdered. And his resurrection has destroyed sin. To free you from its power, do you really want to do all that you can to nurture it in your life? To hide it and treasure it and enjoy it? Hebrews 11 is going to talk about the fact that sin has a fleeting pleasure. It might be fun for a little while, but it will destroy you in the end. It leads to destruction, falling away and into the hands of the living God. Even if every outward appearance suggests otherwise, that's a terrifying thing. God is a wonderful friend. Yes and amen, but he is a terrifying enemy. And we should want to do everything that we possibly can. Employing every means necessary, every godly biblical means necessary to continue on the straight Narrow path that leads to life. This text ought to sober us. Look, I know, I know that it's hard to live in community with people. It's hard to be the church, right? It's easy to go to church. It's hard to be the church in the sense of what the Bible talks about being the church. It's hard to confess. It's scary to confess your sins to other people. It's difficult to be around and with people that you just disagree with about certain things. Following Jesus is hard and dangerous sometimes. And it's on a narrow path. And yet, with whatever sanity the Lord provides in this moment, would you acknowledge now that it is infinitely more dangerous to keep him and his people at arm's length? It is more detrimental to you to keep the church and Christ at arm's length than it is for you to embrace the mess that is this people and the difficulty that it is to live in community with these people. It's better for you because we're a gift to one another to keep each other moving on this path toward life. Are you able to carry fire in your chest and not be burned? If you know that prioritizing the saints, encouraging others, confessing your sins, praying for each other and walking with Christ, no matter the cost, in other words, holding fast, if you know holding fast is walking the only path that leads to life, shouldn't you want to pursue those hard things? Shouldn't you want to do everything possible to avoid falling away? Here's the reality. You are either Actively, ardently, intentionally walking the narrow path, or you're drifting toward the edge. That's it. Those are the two for the people of God. You're either walking this narrow path, pursuing the way of life, or you are drifting, and the drift is always away. It's with the current toward the waterfall. Let me speak a word to the one who would not claim Christ this morning. You are already his enemy. You're walking a wide path toward forever destruction. There is laid before you this day a choice. You can surrender yourself to Christ, and it's going to mean hardship now, but peace forever. Or you can continue living for yourself and your own desires, and you can have some ease and some pleasure now, but you will suffer for eternity. Repent of your sins and trust Jesus, in just a moment, I'm going to be down front. If you need to do that, I would love to pray with you and help you just walk through that process. But for all the believers here, let me reiterate the message of Hebrews 10, 26 through 31. Don't fall away and into God's hands. Hold fast to Christ, remain in him. And I I want to close. We open with Deuteronomy. Let me just close with Deuteronomy. And this is it. Deuteronomy 32, verses 44 through 47. Moses came and recited all the words of this song in the hearing of the people. He and Joshua, the son of Nun. And when Moses had finished speaking all these words to Israel, he said to them, take to heart all the words by which I am warning you today, that you may command them to your children That they may be careful to do all the words of this law. For it is no empty word for you, but your very life. And by this word you shall live long in the land that you are going over the Jordan to possess. Hebrews 10 is no empty, vain, idle word for you, believer. It is your life. And by your obedience, to all that is written in Hebrews 10. You will live long in the land that the Lord has promised you and won for you by Christ. Hold fast. Don't fall away. Let's pray. Father, thank you for these people. Keep them. Preserve them let us run as far from sin as we can and let us run to Christ. Help us to walk this narrow path that is hard and treacherous and at times uh, uncomfortable and scary. Let us know that Christ is with us and upholds us and that this road will not give way under our feet, but it is sure and steady and it leads where you tell us it will lead. Help us not to relinquish our faith in Christ. Help us not to relinquish the confession of our hope, but help us hold fast to it without wavering because you are faithful and you've promised that none who trust in you will be put to shame. Spirit of God, please move upon our hearts and do the work that you intend and in all things build us up in our faith in Christ and our trust in his perfect righteousness. We make this prayer in his name. Amen. So we make it our... Custom to come to the table of the Lord. Every week we come and we eat of the bread and we drink of the cup. It is a means of remembering the great sacrifice whereby we were sanctified. We remember the blood of the covenant that sanctifies us and we treat it as holy, not as profane. And the way that we do that is by celebrating it in a manner worthy of Christ. We examine ourselves. We ask the Lord to search our hearts, to show us areas of repentance that we need to walk in, to show us areas of obedience we need to walk in, and to commit by His grace, with His help, to walk in those ways. So we repent, we trust Christ every day, every week. If the conviction of the Lord is heavy upon you this morning, praise God. This is a work that the Spirit does through His Word. It's an invitation to you to lay down your known sin, to repent and to walk differently. So enter into that with the Lord, with His help. The table of the Lord is not for people who are perfect, but for those who understand their sin and are casting themselves fully upon the mercy of their Savior, Jesus. So repent, believe, and come and eat if you truly are one of his sheep. If you don't know Jesus, if you've not repented of your sins and trusted him, don't take the table Take Jesus instead. As I've said before, I'm going to be on the front row. I would love to pray with you and point you toward Christ. If you would like to just pray down front, anybody, you are welcome down here. Examine yourselves and come to the table. As we gather at the table of the Lord, we remember that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread you obey and come and take the bread take the cup um, this week we've actually set out also a, a gluten-free communion option here just as unleavened bread uh, if you if that if you need that it's here for you um, but take the bread take a cup return to your seats continue in an attitude of prayer and worship and uh, and then I will come back up and we will partake together so let's pray. Our Father, we offer you thanks for the body of Jesus broken instead of ours. And the blood of Jesus poured out instead of ours. So that our sins could be forgiven. That we could be freed. And that we could come to hate sin. Do this work in us. Help us, O oh God. Let our celebration of this sacrifice be fitting as we relinquish sin and trust Jesus more. I pray that you would build us up in our faith even as we partake. Thank you for the privilege that it is to be your people. and We make this prayer in your name, Jesus. Amen. The table's open.
1: Anyway In- summer flowers oh, we fade, fade in now they knew them
2: Praise God. Christ and Christ alone is the answer to your problem of sin, to the human problem of sin. He has provided everything that is necessary for the defeat of sin. And he is waiting until the day when all of his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet. If you are under the conviction of the Lord, let me remind you, encourage you, implore you to run to Christ whose body was broken instead of yours. You earned that and he took that punishment whose blood was shed to inaugurate a new covenant and to sweep you up into that new covenant and the new covenant people. Run to Christ, trust him. As we gather at the table, we remember that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's eat together. says, in the same way also he took the cup after supper saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Let's drink together. And then he writes, for as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup just now, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So we do this in anticipation of the return of Jesus, of the joy that will be ours when we see his face. And in the meantime, we proclaim his death until that day. Amen. Um, We are spending the month of August praying for the surrounding community called Wardville. Um, Would you simply... that through the ministry of our church God would see fit to save people from Wardville just the people around our church uh, just like cry out to God with the knowledge of what we've seen today with an understanding that what awaits God's enemies is a, a fury of fire that consumes the adversaries, would you intercede on behalf of the inhabitants of Wardville and then ask God to show us how and to give us the obedience to do it? So make that prayer now, please. Ourselves in the people of Wardville we see in many cases who we once were but not anymore and all because of the grace and sovereign hand of Jesus and we thank you for that and yet we, you, you have seen fit to structure your kingdom in such a way that you pardon rebels and then you turn them out to other rebels to bring them with them. And so we cry out to you. Because we know. That you desire all to reach repentance. Your word says it. And so we ask you God. That you would raise up in our church. A heart to reach Wardville. A desire to reach Wardville. That will carry through to the development of a plan. And and and. and obedience to that show us the best way to reach the community around us that is so hard and hardened and rebellious in so many ways and in your mercy be pleased to save some, oh God let us see it in our day that enemies of yours would become friends, be pardoned and relieved of the burden of their sin help us, oh God and help Wardville. And we cry out to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, just a handful of announcements. Um, This Wednesday night will be the women's gathering at 6 p.m. at Kevin and Ronnie's house. Okay, that's this Wednesday night, 6 Uh, p.m. Do we know what we're having? Party finger foods. You will not be eating fingers just so that we're clear. Uh, Unless it's ladyfingers, which is not also what it sounds like. It's like a cookie in tiramisu. Uh, So you're going to be doing that on Wednesday night. Okay, today is our picnic potluck, but we have had a change of venue because we are setting record temperatures right now. And not just in this building, but outside. It's going to be closer to 110 than 100. And we were going to meet at four o'clock this afternoon at Kings Park. So we're still having picnic potluck, potluck, whatever you, you want. And let me explain this to you real quick. This is what this means. You're going to make a picnic that would feed you and your family and one other person. Okay, so enough food, but a whole picnic that you're going to make. And then when you get there, to to where we're gonna be that I'm gonna tell you in just a minute. You're gonna set your mains with the mains and your sides with the sides and the desserts. And then we're having a potluck from everybody else's picnics. Okay, so that's what it means. You're making a picnic, but we're having a potluck from those picnics. Okay, so that's, that's the idea. Instead of meeting outside at Keys Park, the Williams family, Kevin and Ronnie, have graciously offered to host it inside at their house. Um, They have room for it. Everybody here will be comfortably cared for in that environment. So just make your your dishes. Bring them. Instead of going to Keys Park at 4, go to Kevin and Ronnie's house at 4. If you need directions or an address, let me know. Let Kevin know. Or find just about any other person in this church, and they can probably tell you where to go. Uh, It's 126 Myrtlewood. 129 Myrtlewood. Yes. 129 Myrtlewood. Like I said, the first time, uh, 129 Myrtlewood over in Pineville, four o'clock. Uh, it's going to be a wonderful time just to be together and enjoy each other's company. Um, and then the, the last thing that I've got is, well, two, two more things. I'm sorry. September the 3rd is going to be the beginning of our parenting class. It's going to run for eight weeks. And then uh, and if you haven't gotten your $15 to Joy, you can PayPal her, give her a check, whatever. Uh, just get that money to her, those $15. And then uh, September the 17th, we're having baby dedication. So if you want to be involved in that, you can see Rebecca Christian. Anybody else have any more announcements? Okay no pool, no upstairs, okay? We will just bar all of that off. If you go for the pool, you're going to get tackled in the name of the Lord. You're going to get attacked by wasps. You heard it here first. Uh, Yeah, so we're just going to be inside. That's That's just to keep the cool air inside so that we all stay cool. Yeah. Yeah. So, Right. Yeah. Next time you're at the grocery store or Walmart or Sam's, just if you could pick up a case of water, bottled water and just bring it. You can leave it here. You write Manhatta house on top. Yeah. We, we may not give water away forever, but while we're in triple digit temperatures, the people of Wardville. Okay, let me just, let's just talk about this. We almost didn't get to meet last week because our water line got severed at the meter. We, we suspect that it was not an act of vandalism so much as desperation from the people of Wardville needing water, just not having it. Okay, so that happened last week. So if you can, like we're just trying to give water to people. Um, just because that's that's one of the things that they need literally to survive. So yeah. <laughs> but even better, you get to support the cause of life in a tangible way. Yeah. We'll get more information in the newsletter tomorrow.
0: Stand as we dismiss. We're going, to, we're going to end with something a little different. Something that we are, uh, this is week one of something we're going to be doing for the next 52 weeks. It may not always be at the end of service, but we're going to be going through one question and answer of the New City Catechism together. And don't let that word catechism scare you. That's something that the church, including the Protestant church, have done for centuries upon centuries. And so all it is is it's a teaching. It's just elements of the Christian life that um, it's a question and answer. So I'll ask the question. The answer will be on the screen. Let's say the answer together as our benediction today. So, question one is What is our only hope in life and death? That we are not our own, but belong body and soul, both in life and death, to God and to our Savior, Jesus Christ. Let's savor those words as we go this week. Love you. You're dismissed.